third time. All right, let's go ahead and just dive into this. I'm talking about deception tonight, but I'm, I'm going to hit on some things that are pretty interesting that I don't think that probably many of us have thought about. But let me start with this. 2 Corinthians 11:14. the Bible says, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So when Satan comes, he doesn't come as some hideous, scary, horned being, uh, you know, blood dripping out of the side of his mouth, waving a pitchfork at you and trying to scare you half to death. He really doesn't try to come that way. He tries to come in a way that is so subtle and it looks like it's God, but it's not. It looks so good, but it's not. Remember then the Garden of Eden, there was the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But remember that good was there. Just because something's good doesn't mean it's God. Like, for example, um, there's people that practice what they call white witchcraft, which is supposed to be doing good, healing people and stuff like that. But it's still witchcraft and it's pure evil. So just because they think it's good doesn't mean it's God. Okay, So Satan tries to come in that way that he looks like an angel of light. It looks good. So with that said, the first thing I want to talk about is about religion. In our society that we live in here in America, our culture goes back to um, Europe, which goes back to Rome, which goes back to Greece. Why is that important? Because the Greek culture that went into Rome and ended up here in America... That culture is a culture that tries to deny the supernatural in many ways. Are you all hearing me? In other words, it's a culture that does not really truly believe in a spirit realm with angels and demons, spiritual warfare. By and large, people don't really believe in that sort of thing. Like a, uh, they, they believe more of scientific evidence. You know, if it, unless it can be proven... Through science, they're not going to believe it. And that goes back to the Greek culture. And the Greek culture had a lot of philosophy in it. And that's where that comes from. And that's important because we've got to understand that we don't want this world and the culture of this world to affect us. Okay? Amen? So we want God to purge out any worldliness, any of that culture that's around us that's not Him. I think many times there's so much more of the world's influence than we really truly realize that Satan is trying to uh, fill our minds with. All right, so when Jesus walked the earth, he dealt with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees were the descendants of Aaron and the Levitical priesthood. These were people that were ordained by God to um, work in the realm of the temple. These were the Sadducees. The Pharisees were people that were not necessarily Levitical. Um, Like, for example, Paul was a Pharisee, but he was from the tribe of Benjamin. So these were just people that were like ultra-zealous for the law and for the Lord. So these were religious people. Now, I want you all to hear me tonight. This is important that people understand that these religious Sadducees and Pharisees They were very zealous for religion. Let me say that again because I don't think everybody heard me. They were very zealous for religion. 
by and large, for them, uh, and still some Orthodox rabbis can do this today, they would have studied so much the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, that they could have quoted most of it, if not all of it. Seriously, I know this sounds crazy, but they could have quoted a lot of it in Hebrew exactly as it is because they spent night and day reading it and speaking it over and over and over for years and years and years and years and years to the point to where they could quote that thing. And they, So they knew the word of the Lord. They had a lot of it memorized. And they were very zealous for religion. But in their zeal for religion, they ended up being the greatest enemies of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said about them, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And he said that you'll travel land and sea to win a single convert and make him twice as much a son of hell as you. Yet, they had the Bible, much of the Old Testament as we know it, especially the Torah, they would have had that memorized for the most part. They, I'm serious, I know that a lot of people think, well, could they have memorized that much? They did, trust me. There was, um, there was a rabbi that called Michael Brown that was really arguing with him, and he, he could quote pretty much the Torah verbatim in Hebrew. And he was so argumentative with him, trying to argue about Christ and all that. But I'm telling you, these people knew the word. Just because you know the word you could still turn out being what Jesus said, a son of hell and an enemy of Christ, an enemy of what he's trying to do in the earth. Isn't that a scary thought? So the Sadducees and Pharisees, I, I don't like to be too extremely hard on them because that, that's what they knew. I mean, that's their culture. They just grew up with that mentality. In fact, not all of these Pharisees were horrible people. Remember, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and was really sincere. And there was, I believe that there was others in the Pharisees and Sadducees that, that really wanted truth, and they, they were open. Um, there was even a man that when Peter and John left, he told him, he said, Guys, listen, if this is from God, you're not going to be able to stop it. You know? So I think that there was a sincerity in a lot of them, but yet religion had caused them to become an enemy of what God was trying to do in the earth. So let me go ahead and start reading some of these scriptures. I'm going to show you kind of a downward spiral of religion. In Matthew 11, verse 20, it says, He began to denounce the cities in which most of the miracles were done because they did not repent. How many knows that whenever you know, Jesus comes on the scene, he wants us to repent of our sins? There's a lot of people that are going to wake up in eternity and be very shocked because they never repented of their sin and where they're actually going to spend eternity. But he said, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, Will you be exalted to heaven? No, he said, you will descend down to Hades or hell. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said this. Now look at this. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. That right there flies in the face of religion. Verse 26, Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. 
All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Rest for your souls. So, this, this is the first thing right here. Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent or the learned and have revealed them to the infants. That is the most important part right there. See, what I mentioned about the Pharisees and Sadducees were they were extremely knowledgeable of God's word, which is important to know God's word. I'm not, believe me, I study the word, I read the word uh, regularly. I read it just about every single day. I study the word, I know the word. I've been studying it for 20 years. So I feel like I know the word, and I love God's word, but you can really have a lot of scriptural knowledge and still be an enemy of the Lord. So these Pharisees and Sadducees had learned the word, but they learned it from a legalistic view. And what Jesus was saying here was, was that they had to humble themselves like a child. And there had to be a, a simplicity there to really know him and really know revelation. You remember when Jesus told Peter, he said, Bless you, Peter, because flesh and blood didn't reveal it, but my Father revealed to you that I'm the Christ. In other words, revelation. So what these Pharisees and Sadducees only understood the letter of the law in the most legalistic sense. But Peter, spending time with Christ, was beginning to learn the spirit of the law and revelation, being able to see what God was showing him through the scriptures. Okay, there's a difference. So let me show you what I mean by a legalistic view of scripture. Matthew 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples became hungry. He just began to pick, you know, the grains to eat them. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what, it's, what is not lawful on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read that when David became hungry and he and his companions, how they entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to eat, nor for those with them, but for the priest alone? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priest in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent because they still go in and minister unto God on the Sabbath? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here, but if you had known what it means, I desire compassion, not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent." So they, they took this extreme legalistic view that by Jesus' disciples just simply pinching off some grain and eating it that they were breaking the Sabbath. You see, it, it's just ridiculous. And Jesus went on to say that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. But they took such an extreme legalistic approach to this. And when you get into legalism and, and this... Uh, religious spirit people start getting way too far and getting a bit silly i'll give you an example there was um it's in jewish culture that you know on the sabbath that you're not even supposed to ride in a car among these real ultra orthodox people but it doesn't even make any sense because it's more work to walk but see when you get when you get into this i'm serious when you get into this legalism People go too far with it, and, and they start making all these traditions of men 
and, and it gets silly. And that's what we're dealing with here. Jesus is basically saying, if I could paraphrase it, do you really think the guys are working because they're doing this and eating seriously? But, they, but it was this extreme legalistic view. As though they were out like cutting down crops, you know, and gathering in the sheaves. That's the way the Pharisees saw it. But here's the danger of this extreme legalistic, um, uptight view of the scripture in these religious people. Religious people can know the word and quote the word and excel in the scriptures, but they don't really know the Holy Spirit. And here's where they get in danger. So you see, I showed you how, first off, Jesus was saying that you have to be like the infants, like the children. You've got to be humble and how God has hid hid these things from the wise and learned. And then we come down and you see how legalistic they are. But now look at where the downward spiral ends up. Matthew twelve twenty two. There was a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus and he healed him so that the mute man spoke and saw. All the crowds were amazed and were saying, this man, uh, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man cast out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. In other words, they were saying that Jesus was like a, a witch or a sorcerer, like Simon the sorcerer, and he was using demons to do these things, like magic and stuff. And that he was demon-possessed. And so Matthew twelve thirty, just skip down a little bit. Look at this. He says, Jesus says, he who is not with me is against me, and he, do, he who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I say to you, if any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Now look at this. This is a direct quote from the Bible. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. That's not complicated. But see, there's groups of people, I'm tempted to say like maybe a couple different denominations, but I won't, but I'm just saying there's groups of people that y'all know who I'm talking about, that they really speak against the Spirit of God by and large. I'm not saying that they've necessarily crossed this line. I don't know where that line is that you cross, where it's like crossing the Rubicon, you know, there's no return. I don't know where that line is. But they flirt with that line, and they speak against the Holy Spirit. They speak against tongues. They speak against the things of God and against revival. And so what they do is, since they do that, they've got to find a way to get around this scripture. All right. I've heard them sit there, and I just shook my I've heard them sit there and go this roundabout way of twisting this scripture to this scripture, this scripture, this scripture, all the way around where they came back and said, so this Blasphemy of the Spirit is where you just don't accept Jesus Christ as your Savior in the first place. And I remember it's just like facepalm. Really, you know. Seriously, how did you get that? And, but that's what people do. They, they want to get around this scripture because they want to speak against the Spirit of God. But that's what religious people do. Religious people will, because of their knowledge in the scriptures, they get lifted up with pride. They're puffed up. Then they begin to get ultra-legalistic in their view of the Scripture and their pet doctrines. They feel like they're right. They have to be right because they're so knowledgeable. And they begin to come against 
those that are actually right. Those that were hanging out with Jesus were right. <laughs> but, but they were coming against them in a very legalistic way. And you know what happens? Religious people, at the end of the day, where they end up is they end up speaking against the Spirit of God. And they end up being an enemy to what the Spirit of God is doing in the earth. Does that make sense? So you can see a downward progression there, like a downward spiral to the danger of actually blaspheming the Spirit of God among these religious people. The religious people tend to be very controlling about the move of God, their views of Scripture. They will oppose the move of God and have a tendency to speak against the Spirit of God. Now I'm going to come back to religion. Let me kind of sidestep here. All right. So let's talk about deception for a few moments. 1 Corinthians 5.1, I want you guys to really, really get this because I don't know why the Holy Spirit has me speaking on the things I'm speaking on tonight because it's going to seem like I go to different topics and then end back up on religion and all that. But there's a reason the Holy Spirit is having me preach on this. There's nothing in the natural right now that I can see that would be a reason to preach on this. But I believe that there's some things coming and the Holy Spirit is wanting people to have this knowledge for what's coming. So make sure that you really get this, okay? So in regards to deception, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, okay, this is in the notes if you want to follow along. 1 Corinthians 5, starting with verse 1. The Apostle Paul, remember, had planted this church in Corinth. And these, by and large, the Corinthians were known for kind of being a bunch of heathen, all right? So Corinthian, the Corinthian church had some issues, and Paul had to deal with some of the issues. Now, here's one of the issues right here. In verse 1, it says, It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. In other words, he was having sex with like his stepmother. Verse 2, you have become arrogant and, and have not mourned so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. Are y'all following this with me? This is important. Okay, God will not tolerate sexual immorality in the church. It has to be purged out. Verse 3, for I, on my part, though absent in the body, the Apostle Paul said, I'm present in spirit, have already judged him who has committed this as though I were present. Verse 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 5, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord Jesus. In other words, kick him out of the church and give him over to the devil. And the devil will ravish him, but hopefully Paul's believing that through what he's going to go through, he'll repent and end up in heaven one day. Verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? That's why the Bible says that you can't allow this stuff in here. 
because it tries to have a spiritual effect on everybody else. But I promise you, I might be the only one preaching this in quite a distance. (laughs) But this is New Testament Christianity. But we've gotten into a day where people just won't deal with this stuff. Verse 7, clean out the old leaven so you may be a new lump just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. Therefore let us celebrate the feast. I believe that's Passover and also the communion table there, okay? Let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, verse 9, this is important, especially you young people hear me in this, okay? He said, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Immoral is sexually immoral, okay? Verse 10, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous swindlers or the idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. So what he's saying here is if you're going to go to your workplace and you're going to go out on the streets witnessing and you're around the heathen people that are sinners, they're going to sin. They're sinners. Okay, we're there to witness to them and be a light, but look at verse 11 though. But actually, I wrote to you to not associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous, an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler, An immoral person is a sexually immoral person, okay? Look at this. Not even eat with such a one. Don't even eat a meal with such a person. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges them. But look at this. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. This is serious business. And... I don't know why God has me preaching on this right now, but I really feel to warn people, you need to make sure. If you're out witnessing the heathen, we're supposed to be doing that. We do that all the time. Hopefully, y'all were able to last night. We're going to do that tonight. We do that all the time witnessing, but it's an entirely different thing when somebody claims to be a Christian, you know, and they're like a church-going person, but they're living a hypocritical life of unrepentant sin The Bible says for us, do not associate with them. Don't eat a meal with them. Don't hang out with them. Why? Because it tries to have an effect on us. I'm going to tell you, regardless, I look at the Bible like this. It says what it means. God knew what he was doing when he wrote it. The Holy Spirit's smarter than me. I'm just going to obey the thing. Amen? I'm not going to try to question it. I'm not going to try to argue with God. God's smarter than me. He said not to associate with those people, and I don't. All right. So some things that I'm concerned about in regards to deception. Because right now, I had a meal with some friends of mine that I haven't seen in a while, last Monday, and and they were talking to me about these things. It was really a great conversation. But look at this. This is what is concerning me in what we call, I guess, the modern church, you know. But the church of today, 
The Bible said there would come a time when people do not put up with sound doctrine, but they gather unto themselves teachers that tell them what they want to hear. Now think about that for a minute, because we're living in that day. People don't want to hear the truth. They don't want sound doctrine. They just want to put teachers there that will tell them what they want to hear. Tell them that they can live in sin and still go to heaven. Tell them that it's okay the way they're living and all that. But what has concerned me, and this is a great deception in the church world, is the church has now got a total focus in many places on grace with no healthy fear of God. I love God's grace and mercy. A lot of people don't even know what grace is. Grace empowers you to overcome sin, not to live in sin. Okay, they don't even know what they're even talking about. But I love God's love. I love God's grace. I love God's compassion. I love God's mercy that he's extended to us. You know, that he would adopt us as his children and pardon our sins and let us be born again and allow his spirit to live in us. He's, he's so merciful and loving. But at the same time, he's a holy God. And we've got to have a holy fear of God. Jesus said, don't fear the one that can kill your body. He said, fear the one that can kill your body and then throw you into hell. So there is a balance of having a holy fear of God, but also understanding God's love. And some people just can't get that. It's like it's, it, I don't know, it just makes their mind want to explode or something. But there, God is big enough that he is a holy God to be feared, but he is also a loving father. He's both. Jesus is the lamb, but he's also the lion of Judah. And that, to me, is one of the greatest problems right now, is there a total, complete lack of the fear of God. That people dare to come into God's house the way they come in. It's scary. I mean, they'll come in having partied, got drunk, slept around last night, and come into God's house. Hebrews, I believe chapter 10. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. If they don't repent one of these days. And I'm concerned about the loose standards in the church that we've mentioned in the past. But I'm talking about deception here. Because as revival breaks out more and more, and more and more people are getting saved, and more and more people that got saved are baby Christians coming into a church environment, you have to be patient with them while God deals with their stuff. Okay? But at the same time, you cannot lower the standards down to where they are. That's important. So if, it's, if they are the real deal, if they really have accepted Christ as their Savior, then they want to please God. They want to be holy. Amen? So if they are the real deal, they're going to want to change the way they talk, what they're drinking, the way they dress, the places they've been going. They're going to want to change. And the church should be helping to set a standard of holiness and help them come up to that place in a loving way. Not dumbing everything down to where they are, where they feel okay in their sin. That's doing nobody a service. That, that's actually going to destroy many lives. And some of them could fall back into the very things they came out of and end up in hell one day. So we've got to be careful that the loose standards of the world are not in the church. But there's a standard of holiness 
and how social ills have been accepted. This bothers me a lot too. That churches have gotten comfortable. Did you know that at the book of Romans, this will surprise some people, it's in the New Testament. Romans chapter 1, it, it condemns homosexuality, but keep reading. It talks about sins that are worthy of death. This is the Apostle Paul in the New Testament said, those that do these things are worthy of death. Okay, And one of them was children that rebel against their parents. Wow. That's scary, isn't it? That's the way God views these things. But see, society has gotten so dumbed down spiritually and so desensitized that things that, that even sinners 50 years ago, 100 years ago would have cringed, now so-called Christians are comfortable with them. That things like abortion and homosexuality and um, fornication, which is sex outside of marriage, would be comfortable in the church is a very scary thing. People have allowed the idols of, it's all about getting the people in the church. It's all about getting the numbers and getting the money. It's all about those things. They've made it about that. The mentality sounds good at first because it's like, well, we, we just want people to come so we can witness to them. And it sounds really good. But the problem is, is the methods that they've used to get people there is they're trying to water everything down so that sinners feel comfortable in the church to get them there. And then when they get them there, instead of preaching the whole counsel of God and preaching against sin and calling them to repentance, they're like, well, we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to offend anybody. So let's just tailor make our little sermons and services and everything to be entertainment and to appease them. All they're doing is facilitating a country club that they've slapped a label of a church on it. It's not really a real church. And the scary thing is, if a terrorist had come into that church and set off some kind of bomb, that it would be a shock to everybody how many people went down instead of up. The old saying, it's not in the Bible, but I agree with it, that we're to love, love the sinner but hate the sin. That's true. But how has worldliness crept into the church? You can see even in people's mentalities now. So many people have a, a weird mentality that it's so full of the world they don't even realize it. It affects the way they think. It affects the way they raise kids. It affects their marriages. It affects their finances their global mentalities, their secular psychology. All the stuff in this world has, has been pumped into their way of thinking and they don't even know it. But they're unbelievably worldly. They've, they've accepted so many lies and so many things for so long they don't even know it. They're quick to go to Google to get all their answers instead of God's word. So what I feel the warning of the Holy Spirit is, is that we need to be really careful because we're believing God for revival. And the Bible says that we pray he'll do it. It's just a matter of time. I met with my friends last week and they were telling me, they said, 
Brother Scott, they said, listen, and he's, he's a very prophetic individual. He gets some stuff that's really impressed me over the years. He really hears from God. And he said, brother, he said, God has you right where you are to lay a foundation for what's coming. There's something, you know. He knows, he knows something's up, something's coming. But it's important because the foundation's got to be laid really strong. I've been concerned more about when God starts bringing in the harvest and the great breakthroughs happen, we've got to be able to sustain the move of God. That's what's been my concern. We've got to be able to sustain this momentum, sustain this revival. We can't let anything start going downhill. You know, these people coming in, they need to come up to a Christ-like standard. We're not dumbing things down. They need to understand what it means to be a Christian. And if some people don't want to repent, you always get those people that sit there and just buck up against you. They're, re- they're rebellious. They're prideful. They don't listen. Those people won't last, and it's sad, isn't it? But anyway, I've been concerned about that, that, that we'd be able to keep this momentum, and I believe that we're definitely getting to a place where we can. But it's going to be intercessors, and it's going to be keeping um, freedom in the services for the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do. That's the key. All right, so now let me take another sidestep here about the counterfeit. All right, before I do, just remember that we've got to keep the sin out of the church. I'm not talking about, there's been people come to me in River of Life and everything's extremely confidential, but they've come to me with things they've struggled with. There's nothing wrong with that. Everybody has struggles. When I was younger in the Lord, I definitely had my fair share of struggles, okay? So when people come to me with struggles, they're, they're sincere and they're, they're, in their heart, they're sad about it. They want to get the victory. Man, I sit there and help them all the way through that, okay? That's what the church is for. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about people that are unrepentant in their sin and they're justifying it and they don't want to change. You see the heart difference? It's all about the heart. If the heart is, God, I'm so sorry I'm dealing with this stuff, please help me, God will help you. But when somebody has a heart that's not like that, that says, you know what, I feel like I'm fine like I am, thank you, leave me alone. Those are two, they may be dealing with the same sin, but one person, God will help them, the other person, God will remove them if they don't repent. All right, so let's be careful who we're hanging around with and what we're doing. Don't let other people's hypocrisy drag you down. If somebody's not right, they're a hypocrite, they say they're a Christian, but they don't live right, we're not supposed to even eat a meal with them. We're not supposed to be associated with them. All right. Now, here's a very interesting attack of the devil. You know... I've heard a lot of things about spiritual warfare and deliverance over the years. I've heard a lot of sermons. And this is an area that I minister. So I've, I've read a lot of books and I've heard a lot of teaching. And there's some amazing stuff out there. But when somebody starts telling me how stupid the devil is, I automatically start tuning them out because they don't know what they're talking about. They've probably never had any significant spiritual warfare. And they're very limited in their knowledge about it. The devil's not stupid. Okay? 
It's just that Jesus defeated him at the cross. There's a difference. And he's not completely powerless. He's just limited. When it comes to a Christian, we, greater is he that's in us. We have victory over him, okay? So we don't need to underestimate our enemy. The Bible says he does roam around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But the truth is that as Christians, we can overcome him. Okay? All right, so with that said, you need to understand that, that Satan has a brilliant tactic here about the counterfeit. The counterfeit is where Satan takes something from God and, and then obviously he counterfeits it. But the goal is that, and I'm going to show you this, because I, I bet you've probably never heard anybody actually preach along these lines before. Maybe you have, but the goal of the devil is that hopefully people will swallow the counterfeit. But even if they don't, he's hoping that because of the counterfeit, they will now reject the real. They don't want the real. And I'm going to show you that. So, let me just dive into this. Satan is a counterfeiter, not a creator. We know he's a fallen angel, specifically a cherub, a cherubim. He was um, oh, probably the cherubim, we can't say for sure, but just looking at it in Scripture like Ezekiel, probably the cherubim are those, those four living creatures. Remember, they have different faces and everything, and they probably somehow interlock and create like a throne for God. And Lucifer at one time was kind of like the back that went up like this. So in other words, the throne of God is seen in the Ark of the Covenant. How many of you guys have seen the Ark? The box, and then it has the two angels like this? Okay, that's a picture of God's throne. So God's throne has these cherubim around it. Probably the four living creatures kind of make up the throne, so to speak. And at one time, Lucifer was like the back, and he came up over. He said he was the anointed cherub that covered. Think about how close Lucifer was to God at one time before he fell. That's sobering, isn't it? It says he walked among the fiery stones right around God's throne there. He, he had t- uh, tablets and pipes within him. He probably led worship in heaven. And here he was uh, basically like the cherub that covered. Here's God. I mean, he was like this, covering and leading worship to God. But Satan being a fallen cherub, a fallen angel, he was not created in the image of God. Mankind was created in God's image. And one of the things that God has given us as human beings is he's given us an imagination. So God is a creator and we have a creative ability within us. Angels don't have that. So you never read in the scriptures or see anything that Satan has ever done that's been a creator. He's only taken the things of God and counterfeited or perverted them. I'll give you a couple examples. One is that God instituted the sacrificial system um, through the Aaronic priesthood where Israel would bring animals to the tabernacle or the temple later and they would sacrifice those animals for the remission of their sin and they would do that through the Aaronic priesthood. That was something initiated by God. But now there's all kinds of religions in Hinduism and other religions and even pagan witchcraft Satanists that will sacrifice to the demon gods. Okay, they stole that, they hijacked that from what something God gave Moses. And now they perverted it unto demon gods and unto Satan. Another thing, I'm just giving you a few. I could, start, I could preach a whole sermon on this, but I'm just going to give you a few. Another thing they did was, 
every day the priest would go into the temple and burn incense to God. You guys ever read that? They go in there every day to the golden altar and they would sprinkle the incense on the hot coal, burn incense, and they would pray every day. So Satan took that, hijacked it, stole it, and now you see in all kinds of religions and cults, they burn incense to their demon gods. You know, whether it's Native American, you see it in Hinduism, you see it in Buddhism, and you also see it even with the the witches and the pagans that they'll be burning incense to their demon gods. But they stole that from something God gave Moses, something that was originally a holy thing unto God. But they perverted it, and it's a counterfeit. I'm going somewhere with this. I want you all to see something here in a moment. Another thing is the lunar days. Okay, God's calendar is not the Gregorian calendar we use. Okay, his calendar is the Hebrew calendar. The Hebrew calendar, going all the way back to the days of Moses, was based on the moon, lunar cycles. So every um, Passover... Pesach, okay, that's what it's called in Hebrew, Passover. Every Passover is the 14th day of Nisan. So it's every time, it's always going to be a full moon. Because it's based on these lunar cycles. They have the new moon. You guys ever looked up and saw the moon, which is totally black? You ever noticed that? All right, that's a new moon. And they have these new moon festivals, and that's when the Hebrew month changes. So I'm making a point here. All of it was based on the lunar. All right. You can see now that even witches and people have hijacked that and have, uh, they use the lunar cycle for their pagan satanic holidays, don't they? And not only that, they've created um, holidays, if you will, these pagan so-called holy days that are based on these things, based on the lunar cycle that they celebrate. It's a perversion of the feast that God gave. Is this making sense? So God gave something... And then Satan hijacked it and perverted it. Okay? Same thing with lighting candles. For example, the menorah. Every day, the priest went and burned incense, but they also had to light the menorah. When it was the temple, there was more than one. So they had to light the menorah in there. And so this goes back to ancient times in the temple. But even to this day, Satan has hijacked that idea and there's people that, that, you know, light candles into other things. And it's even part of, of satanic ceremonies, lighting candles. Isn't that something? Do y'all see where I'm going with this? So when you get into Satan's counterfeit, why, is, why am I preaching this way? Because I'm about to show you something that is going to unmask one of the devil's strategies. See, even amongst um, pagan religions witchcraft and things like that there will be some kind of initiations or rites or rituals that may involve some kind of an immersion it may be in water but it may just be like a mock immersion that doesn't actually have water so we know in christianity we have baptism so do we do away with baptism because satan has counterfeits out there Of course not. We're going to keep doing what we're supposed to be doing. Right? Did you know that there's even counterfeit communion? Did you know that the Mormons have a weird communion that's supposed to be kind of a... It's not like our communion at all. It's not even viewed that way, but they they have water and white bread. And it's some weird communion. Did you know this may shock some people, 
But did you know that the Catholic communion is not our communion? It's not. It's a perversion. It's a... um, They worship the bread. Literally, they make an idol out of it. They worship it. And supposedly, when the priest does his thing over it, it's supposed to turn into actual flesh and blood. And when they partake of it, it's supposed to be actually the true body and blood of Jesus. I mean, literally, like flesh and blood in them. It's a weird perversion of what we know as communion. So does that mean, because there's counterfeits out there, that we stop taking communion? Okay. Did you know that... I'm going somewhere with this. Did you know that even amongst the witches, that they have these little anointing oils, okay? And it's supposed to do different things. Some of it can be associated with healing, but uh, there's many other things. But they use these anointing oils for satanic reasons. So because they have their weird oils, does that mean that we stop anointing people with oil based on James chapter 5, which says the elders anoint with oil and the prayer of faith will heal the sick? Do we stop doing that because there's a counterfeit? No. So here's where, I, here's where I'm going with this. So there's people out there that maybe came out of some strange cult. Or it could be like Satanism or something. But just by and large, let's just say something that was weird. And in that environment, they saw people that would do things. And maybe because of the power of Satan, maybe they would fall on the ground and shake or something. And because they were in a cult and they were in something weird and that was demonic and now they've accepted Christ as their Savior, they've renounced that and they come into a church where the power of God is moving, they saw the counterfeit and that's all they've ever known. And now they walk into a church where God's moving and maybe they see somebody get hit by the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and they fall and they're shaking on the power. They would have a tendency out of fear to reject the real. Y'all see where I'm going with this? So the reason why I'm preaching on this is because The devil has brought counterfeits. He wants people to accept the counterfeit. But even if they reject the counterfeit, he still wants them to reject the real because of the counterfeit. Gifts of the Spirit. There was a lady that they had been, something happened, it was a shipwreck. I heard her tell this long story. There was a shipwreck, and her and about four or five other people were stranded on one of those little lifeboats. They were there for a long time. One of the ladies had gotten injured early on, so it got infected, and she started dying. And it was very sad. She said it was extremely difficult. One guy went kind of crazy, walked off the boat. He died. This lady was dying, and as she was going into the last stages of death, this infection had obviously gone through her, and she was dying. She was out of her mind. She wasn't really fully conscious. And 
she was um, acting really hateful and weird. She was saying things that didn't make sense. But at some point, she says she heard her over there, like, chanting or saying something. And she said that it was like speaking in tongues or something, but it was weird, you know. It was like a demonic manifestation. And so I couldn't help but think, because the way this lady was talking when she was telling the story, she didn't know the Lord, and she had this weird encounter that unless somehow somebody really talked to her, I could see where somebody like that would come into Book of Acts Christianity where people are getting baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, and they would be afraid of it and think that it's weird. Did you know also that there's streams of anointing, there's like rivers of the Holy Spirit that's flowing, and, and we see that throughout the Scriptures. In fact, Jesus said, from your belly will flow rivers of living water, but there's, there's um, movements of God where um, God has moved in times past in a geographic location. And it was extremely powerful. And there's still some kind of a residence there of God's presence in that place. I remember, um, for example, John Kilpatrick went to Kentucky to where the Cane Ridge Revival was. And he said that while he was out there, Right where that Cambridge revival took place, he was there. He said that while he was standing there, he felt fire shoot up through his feet and into his calves. He felt the fire of God still there. Isn't that something? Well, that caught my attention, and I really remembered it because I had a similar encounter. I had went to Brownsville with, I took a group from River of Life a while back, and we had all went there, and this was at long after... Um, Steve and Lindell and Brother Kilpatrick, all of them left. I think it was 2010 or 11. I can't remember exactly. But anyway, we were there. And I remember they were having a youth, youth conference. We were there for that. And I remember worshiping. And this was before I ever heard anything from Pastor Kilpatrick saying that. But I felt fire shoot up my legs. And it was awesome. I mean, I, it's a holy, holy ground, okay? And whenever I heard him tell that story, I thought, man, I know exactly what he's talking about. I, I experienced that. Why? Because there's a residence. But see, did you know that Satan counterfeits that? Because there's also places that have been dedicated and consecrated to evil. For example, Hitler had some castle that's famous um, in Germany. I can't remember the name of it, but there's been many occultists that will go to that castle to kind of get that evil, if we could use the word impartation or whatever, from that place. So just because there's the counterfeit does not take away from the real. I feel like I'm supposed to share these things for some reason. That there's some things that may be coming down the road that y'all need to know this information. Okay, there's, did you know that there's, when I was talking about streams earlier, that there's, it's kind of hard to explain, but I, I've kind of known about this for so many years. I've never really thought too much about it. I just knew that there was a reality to it. But like, for example, the great Argentine revival took place in the late 80s. All of Argentina was affected. I mean, it was a radical move of God. And there was an anointing that God had poured out in the Argentine revival. And people were going there and getting that touch of God on their life. And it was as though that stream that was flowing in the Argentine revival would begin to flow in their ministry 
I've experienced that so many times. But Satan has counterfeited that as well because there's also kind of currents and streams in the occult world where people will go to certain things like they'll become a Freemason. They'll go through a witch initiation. They'll go through this initiation. They'll get involved in this voodoo stream. And they try to connect to these different streams, maybe Native American or something, to get in on that power current. But that doesn't take away from the real. That Satan is a counterfeiter. He takes everything that God has done and is doing and tries to pervert and counterfeit it. And he's hoping that by counterfeiting it, that people will either accept the counterfeit or because of the counterfeit, they'll say, I want nothing to do with that over there. And they reject the move of God. They don't want anything to do with the power of God. They're afraid of it because they had some kind of an encounter, some kind of brush with the counterfeit. I've never had a problem going places and receiving from God. I've never thought that it was, that there was anything weird about it. I've always thought, well, you know, God pours out his spirit. If he pours out his spirit, I'm going to go and receive. But some people really have an attitude about that for some reason. I never understood that. All right, so here's the last two things I want to talk about. Science meets science fiction in the occult. The, science, the scientific world is getting more and more strange. It's not like it used to be. Actually, many years ago, scientists were Christians, and they, their whole mentality, their whole paradigm about studying science was based on biblical knowledge and improving God. It, it, and later on, it got weird with Darwinism. But anyway, science is now starting to more and more merge with the occult. I want you all to know this because a lot of people have no idea this is going on. Science in all kinds of different ways since the 60s has been gradually more and more and more merging with the occult. And I really believe that this is going to have a lot to do one day with the rise of the Antichrist. I've always thought that. Because this will, this will fit even people that are kind of atheist. So let me show you what I mean. I, I could rabbit trail too long on this, but I'm going to give you just a couple things. All right, there's, a, there's an occult phrase called transugethian, okay? And then also archaeometry. Now let me explain what these are. I put the picture here. Look at this picture of the sun. From the sun, we are the third planet. We've got Mercury, Venus, and Earth. How many of you guys have ever looked up and seen Venus? Some of you guys can see it. it looks like a star, but like a really bright star. All right, then you have Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and finally Pluto on the far end, okay? And, you know, traditionally, this is what we know as our universe. But now with the Hubble te- telescope and other things that are going further out there, people are expanding their view about that. But right now, traditionally, this is what we know as our um, planetary system in the universe as we know it, okay, where we reside. So the word trans I want you to follow me with this. The word trans means beyond, and Eugethian is an old word that means Pluto. So the, the occult teaching is that somehow people through weird magical means can go to other universes. Now this is really bizarre. 
But trust me, I'm going somewhere with it, so follow me. So they believe that as a magician, somebody can do this ceremonial magic and that they can go into some altered state and that somehow, whether it's astral travel or something, they can go beyond our universe into other universes. That's a, that's a common occult teaching. Another one is archaeometry, and archaeometry is this. The view is that we're in this dimension but there's other dimensions out there. And so somehow through magical occult means, somebody can pierce through the membrane of our uh, dimension into other dimensions. They can go into other dimensions. The goal of these strange individuals is to be able to go to other universes and somehow they can make themselves a little god of that universe. (laughs) Okay, yeah, right. But anyway, and that they can get all of this power and bring it back with them and it'll make them even more of a powerful sorcerer or something. Did you know that science more and more and more is starting to merge with some of these things? One of the ways is through CERN. I mean, you guys are familiar with CERN. I put something out about it. All right. CERN is weird. <laughs> Let me explain why. Actually, I don't, re- I don't have it here, but in my research, CERN originally was actually an acronym in French for what they were doing. But they changed the name. So why in the world would you not change the acronym? Let me give you an example. This is River of Life, ROL. What if we changed our name to Church of God something? It'd be COG. Why would I keep it ROL? That would just be weird. And it would confuse everybody, would it not? So why is it they changed their name, but they were determined to keep it CERN? Well, interesting that in French, one of the names of the horn god, which goes back to Satan, is Cernunos. And that's just weird that they want to keep it that way, even though they changed their name. But CERN is a nuclear research laboratory in Geneva, Switzerland. The scientists there believe, y'all hear me about this, they believe that they can open a portal to other dimensions and that they can either send something through those dimensions or something will come through them to us. So in Switzerland right now, guys, there's this huge, look on, the, on those pictures, okay, on the right. That thing is so huge, you can't even imagine. You've got this huge pit that goes down. I don't remember how deep it is, but it's extremely wide, extremely deep. And they're trying to mess with these uh, spinning atoms and different things. They're trying somehow to open a portal to other dimensions. <clears throat> these are scientists. Now, the reason why I don't think that it's, in, that it's innocent and I don't think that it's just typical science is because of this reason right here. That picture of that Hindu god, you see that ugly lady dancing there, got her leg up? Yeah, that right there is Shiva, and they've got a huge statue of Shiva at the CERN headquarters. Why in the, what does Shiva have to do with anything in science? But you can't tell me this is just some scientific thing and that's the end of the matter. It's not. There's more to this. There's something spiritual about this because it doesn't make any sense that somebody would want to enthrone a Hindu demon god in a scientific 
research laboratory. Unless there was something satanic going on. Number two, their name CERN, their logo looks like 666. I don't know if it is or not, but it looks like it. Why in the world? So why would you want to keep a name CERN that seems to be connected to Cernunos, the name of Satan, even though the name's changed? Why would you enthrone a demon god, Shiva, there? Why would your logo look like 666? And why in the world would you have this huge pit that you want to open some kind of portal to other dimensions? Anybody else think this is weird? But science is meeting the occult, that trans-Yugethian going beyond our universe mentality, archaeometry, getting out of our dimension to other dimensions, that occult teaching that's been there for who knows how long, is starting to merge now with science, that they want to be able to go to other dimensions. But what they don't realize is that they very well, it may be possible that they might open some kind of a portal that is actually in the Bible in Revelation chapter 9 where it says there was an angel, a fallen angel, a star that fell. And in Revelation 9, he opened up this portal, this gate of hell, and all these, remember those locust demons came out? I don't know for sure that that's what this would do, but I'm just saying that they're messing with stuff through some kind of occult means and scientific at the same time to try to open a dimension. And they're playing with something that they don't realize could be extremely dangerous for them. All right. But, but of course, maybe some of them know exactly what they're doing. Maybe some of them are doing it deliberately. All right, so the next one is, you guys follow me with this. This is pretty, pretty interesting, but okay. The word here is a big word. It's megapolis solmency. Okay, say that five times really fast. Are you all ready? <laughs> it's megapolis solmency. And what it means, Megapolis is like architecture. So building buildings and also roads, somehow it's, Megapolis speaks of the architecture of a building in a city, and solmency has to do with like the occult science of it. Okay, here's, here's what it is. Megapolis solmency means this, the, the occult study on how to build buildings to where they will enhance their satanic magical power in that building. So what can you do to make a building, when you build it, have more occult power in it? That's what they're studying. Not just buildings, but beyond buildings and to even city structure. Let me show you something. This is going to shock some people, but it's there. All right, on the last page, you guys see the different pictures. On the top left, you see that inverted pentagram. At the bottom of that pentagram, that little green box, I'm sorry I had to make it small to fill in the page, okay? That little green box, you know what that is? That's the White House. You know what those streets are that form a pentagram? That's in Washington, and it comes down on the White House. That's there. If you don't believe me, research it. It's there. You know who put it there? Freemasons. You know why they did it? Because they, Megapolis Solmency, that's their study. That's what they do. They wanted to enhance the magical power 
in Washington, D.C. The concerning thing is that when you have an inverted pentagram like that, supposedly it's to call down or bring down the power of Lucifer onto the earth. And right at that point where that comes down is right on the White House. Y'all need to be praying for our presidents, okay? Um, let's believe God for a better one, okay, soon, all right? And when we get him, let's really pray for him because he's living, you know, with these sort of things. I'm going to tell you something. People say, well, where, where does the devil actually hang out? Where do these principalities, where do they actually hang out? They hang out in capital places like this where decisions are made that affect nations. That's where they hang out. All right, now look at this. This is our capital. The next picture over, y'all follow me, okay? This is a mature crowd. Are y'all ready? All right, the middle picture, you see the white obelisk, the um, Washington Monument. That you remember reading in the Bible, guys, where it says Baal and Asherah, and it talked about Asherah poles and how they would cut down the Asherah poles? All right, that's an obelisk or a phallic symbol, which represents the male sexual organ, okay? All right, so look right here. In Washington, you've got a phallic symbol, which is, represents the male sexual organ and behind it it's kind of small but you've got that um our capitol building which is a dome can you see it behind it all right now look to the right of that that other building that's more of a tan color that's the vatican in the vatican it's got an obelisk just like that a phallic symbol representing the male sexual organ in a dome and the dome represents the female womb this is done by Freemasons, and it is Megapolis Solmancy to enhance the magical power. It's satanic and pagan. And in the bottom left, you see that is actually the Vatican from a totally different angle. But you can see on, the, on that picture there, okay, the one next to the Statue of Liberty, you can see on that picture, you see a dome, and then to the right of it, you see that phallic symbol, that obelisk there. And you notice that where that obelisk is, do you notice it has a circle? Did you know in Freemasonry, one of the, the highest symbols in Freemasonry is a circle with a dot in the middle? Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's a sexual symbol. It represents the woman and the male. And so this is pagan and satanic. I don't know why God has me talking about this stuff, but I feel an anointing to do it. Like it's time to start exposing this stuff. To the body of Christ. This stuff's not innocent. It didn't just happen. How do you think both Washington and the Vatican got the same thing? The same dome and obelisk? I mean, Freemasons did it. All right. <clears throat> I remember in Deep Ellum, you guys remember going down Deep Ellum with me? Used to Deep Ellum, for those that don't know, it's a, a very small area in Dallas, probably only about a mile in circumference. It's pretty small. It's got two streets that are one way going, you know, each direction. And in that, it's got a bunch of bars and clubs, things like that. This is a hub in Dallas where Satanism and witchcraft, it's like a hub there. And there's actually, I've been there. I've done a lot of witnessing there. We've, we've had prayer meetings there back in the day. And so I'm very familiar with this area. If you go down through there, there's buildings that the graffiti on the buildings is satanic. Also, buildings have things like gargoyles on them. That goes back to Megapolis Solmancy. It's a way of enhancing the satanic whatever of that building. 
that place is oppressive. Y'all that's been there with me know what I'm talking about. You know, it's, it's something that, and listen to this, this is how weird it is. In Dallas, Fort Worth Metroplex, it is against the law for there to be a church and then for a bar to open up within so many feet or a quarter mile or whatever. They have to be, a bar has to be a certain distance from a church to be legally able to open. But in Deep Ellum is the only place in the whole Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex where it is reversed and it is against the law to have a church within so many feet of a bar. That's just weird. And I remember a pastor friend of mine had to rent the place down there, and I know all about this because he was telling me he had to work around that. So, and in Deep Ellum... There was also this abandoned building, creepy, I'm sure it's still used, but it, at the top it was Knights of Pythias. You guys remember seeing that? It's a Freemason building. This area was dedicated to the devil's service. There was actually a place called the Lizard Lounge, and people may hear this, um, that they have an off night. It's a Gothic church night where it's really weird. I've actually, we used to do some hardcore witnessing, okay, when I was... Uh, a few years back, and I was with Steve Hill and them. We used to, I used to go down there. And so we went down there. I'd go down there witnessing, and I, I've been in those places. But in that Lizard Lounge area, you go there and talk to people about Jesus, and there's stuff all over that building that's Egyptian and satanic and all that. All right. And then the last thing, and I need to go to uh, get off this and go to the next point is this. The Statue of Liberty. The Statue of Liberty, I understand that we see that and we think of liberty, we think of democracy. I get that, believe me. And I know that there's people that come from other countries that come into our nation and they've come from horrible places and they'll see something like the Statue of Liberty and they'll start crying because they think about, you know, I'm leaving such a horrible place, I'm going to the land of the free, I'm not taken away from that. I get that, okay? But nonetheless, just so you do know this, that... The Statue of Liberty is not innocent, though. It was created. You can research this yourself. It was created in France by a Freemason, and it is a Freemasonic free satanic symbol that has to do with Isis, which is an Egyptian demon goddess, and it's not the only one. See, a lot of people think that's the only one that was made. They made other ones. So think about it. In New York and in Washington... We've got this architecture that was set up by Freemasons that's satanic. All right, I need to close, but man, I tell you, I've really felt led to talk about this stuff tonight. I have felt a stirring in my spirit. So the last thing is this. The religious spirit, let me come back to an end with the religious spirit. The religious spirit is always about regression, never progression. We have to discern the religious spirit and its legalism and also its ritualistic approach to God, but also lawlessness. So let me explain that. When you're driving down the road, can I tell a funny story about... <laughs> My daughter just gave me a dirty look. Anyway, when I was teaching her to drive, it's just the way it is, where you guys live with it. I had some embarrassing things, too. I mean, she was driving down the road doing so good, man, that, you know, she's a teenager, and... There was a song that came out that was, um, what band did that? Okay, there was a band that was popular back when she was a teenager called Stellar Cart. And they sang a song about teenage drivers. So I used to always mess with her and turn that song on. 
So anyway, we're driving down the road, and we're on I-30, and Sandy falls asleep in the back, and everything's going so smooth. I think, you know, it's time I lay back. I'm falling asleep. Things are going good. Next thing I know, I keep hearing this honking, <laughs> more and more honking, and I finally wake up, and I'm like, what's going on? I'm just honk, 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 and, you know, and I look over, <laughs> Brianna was like this, changing lanes, and there was a guy in the other lane, and bless his heart, man, he, he's in the grass. He's like this, going like this, and he's honking at her, you know. <laughs> All right, so I, led, I said that story so that I could tell you about there being a ditch on both sides of the road, okay? Sorry, I just had to share that. Yeah, that's the way it is. All right, so when you're driving down the road, how many of y'all knows there's a ditch on either side of the road? So in Christianity... Yeah, and you might be pushing somebody into the ditch on the other side of the road, right? But in Christianity, there's, there's either legalism, which is a religious spirit on one ditch, or there's lawlessness and sin in the other. Does this make sense? So people, now let me give you an example. I want you all to hear these examples because this is important. When I was in Bible school, religious spirit is always trying to go backward, and it doesn't ever want to go forward. It doesn't want a new move of God. It's always talking about things in the past. Now, let me give you examples because I already said this last week. All right, so about the King James Version, they're real big on it. It has to, it has to be that. That's the Bible Paul carried, right? You know, it's, it's got to be that. And so they're real uptight about that. I'm not against the King James Version. I like it just fine. But they, it's got to be that. Well, it's interesting because when I was in Bible school, we were doing this, this research back a long time ago. And they said that when the King James Bible was actually made, was it around 1611, right? Okay, when it was actually made, that there were preachers of the gospel that they were using before that some archaic old version of the Bible, okay? And that's what they felt, this is the word of the God, you know? And so the King James Version is made and it's new and they so hated it, they were so against it that one preacher said that he would have rather been tied to four different horses and been ripped apart than preach from the King James Version. He was so against it. Because he was in such a religious rut that it had to be that version that he was using. That was the Word of God. Anything else is not, you know. And now, interestingly enough, people are doing the same thing. You know, they, they preach from one version and they say a new version comes out that may be actually really good, but they're stuck on this one and they say, you know, I'd rather whatever then preach from that you know same thing with music when it comes when music um years ago you guys are familiar with hymns we don't sing a lot of hymns in river of life okay so if you got saved here you just have to figure out what i'm talking about but there, there was hymns okay it was hymn books and they would read them sing from all right what happened was many years ago revival broke out but you guys have seen westerns right so you remember in the westerns Somebody would go in to a bar or something. There'd be this guy with a funny hat playing the piano. Okay, all right. So those guys were kind of writing the music that was popular at that time. And so when revivals broke out in times past, they would take the popular sounding music and then they would write worship and put it together. And that's how we actually got those hymns. So at the time when they were written, they were like cutting edge. They, were, they had a fresh sound, and the people that were getting saved really liked them. But interesting that 
the established Christians of that day hated those new songs and said they were of the devil and that they were worldly. Are you guys seeing how weird this is? As it's like the religious spirit just keeps cycling down through the generations doing the exact same thing over and over and over. It's trying to take people back to yesterday and never move forward. And interesting, too, about, you know, I was thinking about this, about Christmas and, and Easter. Did you guys see Kirk Cameron make that Christmas movie last year? Did anybody see that? Y'all need to see it. It's funny. All right, well, because of the attack, that's, again, you know, okay. I understand, believe me, I preach against Halloween and other pagan satanic holidays, things like that. But see, the religious always tend to go too far with it. It's like whenever they were, I mean, of course, they, they should have kept the Sabbath. But it's like, you know, Jesus' disciples are going through and just eating some grain and they're making a big case about it. Well, it's the same type of thing. In our society right now, Christ, Christmas and Easter may very well be some of the last things that is um, really publicly talking about Jesus Christ. Think about it. And to most people, I'm not saying to everybody, but to most people, Christmas is about the birth of Christ, okay? And the Easter time, I don't really like the word Easter, but, but it's about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's what it's about, okay? But yet, extreme religious people, legalistic will want to completely do away with anything to do with Christmas and Easter. It's from this extreme uh, legalistic view. But it's interesting because they don't mean to, but they're actually working in connection with what Satan wants to eradicate Christ out of our culture completely. Does that make sense? And they don't even realize they're doing it. And their religious zeal, they're so passionate about things that they don't realize that sometimes they're actually helping the devil's purpose in the earth. They'll use scripture to validate their point, but it's always a misuse of scripture. A religious spirit is a structure of death and sterility. Underline that. Keep that. Remember that. Death and sterility. And Jezebel traffics really strong in a religious spirit because of the control. See, Jezebel will come in and either try to make people really legalistic and oppressive and controlling and become like a Pharisee or will try to seduce them into sin. But either way, it's getting them off the road and into a ditch. And Jezebel works very strong with this attack. So this is what I want to close and then we'll pray is this. So how can we live righteous and not be legalistic? It's all about this right here, by having pure motives of your heart. Meaning that you want to do the right things for the right reasons. Okay, you want to live holy, but you want to because you love him. Okay, that, that's the difference right there. It's not that you're trying to measure up. It's not that you're trying to be better than anybody. It's not that you're trying to oppress anybody. It's not self-righteousness. It's that you have this pure motive where you want to be holy and pure, okay, because you love him and because also you want to live the christian life because you love god and you love people if that's the motive it's not going to be it's not going to be tainted with religion and with oppressive things does that make sense but if it becomes about anything else if, it, if a religious spirit gets in and it becomes about my politics it becomes about my reputation it becomes about um, all these other things 
And it's no longer about just loving God and doing the right thing because you love him. Now it's about all this religious politics and stuff. It becomes very oppressive to other people. And it becomes very much an, an offense to God. And those very people will end up being an enemy to Christ in the earth and not even realize they're doing it. It's like the Pharisees. The Pharisees had no idea that they were actually an enemy of Jesus Christ. They were actually an enemy. I'm sorry, they knew they were an enemy of Jesus. They did not realize that they were an enemy of God. They thought that by persecuting Christ that they were doing God a favor. That's the great deception about religion. It goes too far. It, it gets into weird stuff where actually they're serving Satan's purpose in the earth and they don't even realize it. They think that they're doing God a service. So here's what I want to pray. I want us to pray tonight that God purge out any worldliness and any religion. Those are the two ditches, okay? The worldliness is like the, uh, you know, the sin, I guess, the mentalities, the things of the world that's not good. But then religion is the other side where things have been tainted.